Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. and punishing our enemies. We've been looking for you, Miss O'Neill. There is a new enemy, freaks of nature. Together, we will punish these creatures. What the heck was that? Looked like sort of a big title in a trench coat. Hey guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema, Episode 8. Today we'll be talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. Cowabunga! <laughs> that, of course, is my co-host Terrence, and I am Jimbo. <laughs> so, Terrence, having a good day today? Having I mean, I wish day. it would stop raining at least just once. One day. Just a little bit. One day. So, let's go ahead and jump right into some stuff. Uh, Terrence, I'll give you your question in a minute, but first I'd like to throw out... We are recording this on May 23rd, so I thought, well, let's see what happened on May 23rd. You know, some interesting fact. So, Terrence, in May 23rd, 1934, infamous bank robbers Bonnie and Clyde are ambushed by police and killed in Louisiana. Oh, interesting. Yeah, 1934. That was a long time ago. Speaking of which, we'll probably have to cover that movie sometime. In sometime. The, oh, so, yeah. Sometime. You know, we got plenty of time. All right. <laughs> Terrence, I'm going to give you this little bit of movie trivia, see if you can get it. All right. Terrence, what movie was Robin Williams' first animated film? And by the way, it's not Aladdin. First animated film. That he did the voice for. That's not Aladdin. Shoot. 
I mean, that would have been my guess, to right. be honest. It is actually Ferngully, the last rainforest. I forgot about Ferngully. <laughs> He's, I forgot he's in Ferngully. He was the bat, right? I, I, I'm not sure. It's been a long time since I've like, seen it. I barely remember that movie. <laughs> I think you might have to watch it. I know, right? All right, Terrence. Now for the one of the most your favorite parts of the podcast, <laughs> the Ask Terrence. So he just sat there and stare at you for 20 seconds. <laughs> no, yeah, question. pretty much. All right. <laughs> Terrence, stare while my mind we calls both, turn. <laughs> we both know that Michelangelo has nunchucks. Donatello has the bow. Leonardo has the twin katana. Bow being both for those who don't know. Uh, Raphael has size. My question to you, Terrence, is if you could add another turtle to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, what weapon would you like to see used, and what color would their bandanas be? They they did have one on Netflix or something. It was kind of set in the same style as this, and it was a girl turtle. Oh, okay. But I don't remember a lot lot about it. I think she was like light purple or something. Gotcha. So I'm I'm asking you this question. Okay. I actually have an answer right away. What? So I'm going to keep it with the ninja theme, all right? Right. I would say a really cool weapon would be a chain sickle. And a chain sickle is basically like a small sort of, uh, um, you know, sickle at, a, at the end of a chain. You have to be like very acrobatic and very, you know, uh, uh, it's very stylish. I mean, is like, that what they used in the uh, the guillotine movie, the Ninja Guillotine or whatever? Is that what they used? Um, I'm trying to think of a movie that a, a chain sickle was used. If if you've ever seen um, Ninja Assassin, it was like a terrible, awful, like, action. Like, the action scenes were great, but the story was like, what? But they uh, they had a, a chainsickle in there. There was also a chainsickle in the Netflix Daredevil series mm. um, when he was going against... Uh, it's basically one scene where Daredevil gets really messed up. Um, he's fighting a guy with a chainsickle. Um, and it, it's very flashy. It's very cinematic. Uh, it's a very cool weapon. Um, and then the color of the bandana, I would say black. Okay. Go with the ninja. Well, I, I went with, um, you know, you always see this. I, I thought, what about like a some sort of range thing, like a bow and arrow? Um, because none of the turtles have any distance. You know what I mean? I would say if you want to keep with like the ninja, like a blow dart, or like <laughs> like a like a kunai, like throwing kunais or throwing stars. Right. And uh, I think the color would probably be like yellow. You know, just yeah, kind of lighten it up a little bit. So with that, Terrence, you ready to dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle from the, 1990, the year you were born? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, this this did come out the year I was born. That's awesome. <clears throat> I love this movie. I really do. It's a great movie. This and the sequel. Um, so yes, Teenage Mutant. Well, first, uh, before I jump in, um, as per usual, uh, what we're gonna do is you know go over some. Uh, known facts and stuff like that, some of the statistics, uh, some of the uh, more technical information about the movie. Then after that, we're going to jump into awards. After awards, we're going to jump into the fun stuff, you know, uh, trivia stuff, unknown facts, you know, fun facts about the movie. At the end, we will give our opinion, and then we'll close out. Uh, With that being said, we're going to jump in. Uh, So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, release date, March 30th, 1990. Budget was thirteen. <clears throat> excuse me. It was a uh, thirteen thousand. No, I'm sorry. Try again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> thirteen million, uh, and that equates to twenty six million uh, uh, with inflation. Uh, its gross USA was one hundred and thirty five million, and so that's equating to 
261 million. So pretty much they just added a zero on it. So it made things really easy as far as conversion goes. Um, this was directed by Steve Baron. Baron. I feel like you can say this name so many ways, and I would need to hear someone actually say his name to know how to say it. <laughs> uh, the writers were Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Uh uh, they wrote the characters, um, and then the story was written by uh, Bobby Herbeck, and then Bobby Herbeck and Todd W. Langan wrote the screenplay. So a lot of different writing going on here. Uh, then, and I don't know if a lot of that, you know, because it was coming based up on a comic book, too, exactly, so they probably yeah. had to look into that, too. Comic book, then cartoon, and then finally, right. man, that movie. cartoon was amazing. I love that cartoon. I can still watch that cartoon. That's a cartoon I can go. I back could probably to. still sing the theme song, but I'm not going to to save our <laughs> listeners' ears. <laughs> All right, so uh, now into the technical aspects of the movie. Its runtime was an hour and 33, uh, 93 minutes. So we're, we're looking at your, you know, your average movie time as usual. Uh, sound mix was uh, Dolby Stereo. It was a color movie. Uh, its aspect ratio was 1.85 by one. It was the laboratory uh, where it was filmed was Technicolor, uh, New York. So, you know, we're, this is interesting because we're out of Hollywood, which is where pretty much most of the other movies have been filmed. Um, so this one was filmed in New York. Uh, its negative format was 35 millimeter. Its cinematographer, cinema. You think I would have this word by now? Um, <laughs> it wouldn't be an episode of the podcast if you didn't slaughter a few exactly. words. Uh, cinema. Uh, I'm just going to skip it today. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long day. I work a <laughs> night shift. <laughs> Process. So it's spherical. So we're, we're talking about the lens here. Um, so we we couldn't find the camera, uh, but we did get the lens style, and I can probably make an entire podcast talking about this lens alone. Uh, basically, there's two different types of lenses. Um, there's the uh, uh, I'm blanking on the name, but basically there's a square lens and there's a circle lens. They use the circle lens, which is your basic, you know, camera lens, movie lens. It's it's very common. Uh, the other one is a little more of a, a cinematic flair. Uh, so in this one, they use a spherical lens. Uh, the printed film format is 35 millimeter. And now off into the awards. Uh, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, USA 1991. Uh, it was nominated for Saturn Award Best Fantasy Film. Uh, best costume uh, from Alonzo Wilson, uh, Lesja Lieber, uh, Zena Beth, uh, Fiona. Oh, these crazy <laughs> names, man. Um, Kazel C A Z A L Y. Cause only. Yeah, that's like I can't even begin. To, uh, man, anyway, um, and then Marion uh, Kate Kating Keating. I can't even anybody have like a simple last name. Mick Smith. <laughs> so th- those were all the people involved uh, with creating the costume, which what they were nominated for. Uh, which especially the the turtle costumes, uh, very well done, very well done. Um, so uh, off to the next one, which we're looking at the BMI Film and TV Awards 1991. It did win, so it won the BMI Film Music Award. Uh, the composer being John Duprez. Then off to the Kids' Choice Awards, which no one takes seriously. Uh, USA 1991. <laughs> but it was a winner. <laughs> but it was a winner uh, for the Blimp Award. So a favorite animal star uh, for the title heroes themselves. Uh, 
Love that, it. Yeah, but that's, love that's it. great. <laughs> uh, Yoga Awards. I feel like this is the first time we've brought that one up. Uh, 1991 winner Yoga Award. Worst foreign film. It must be like a spoof. Yeah. I don't... What? <laughs> Interesting. I guess maybe didn't do great uh, overseas. Then maybe that's why I couldn't find any of the uh, <laughs> worldwide budget. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and then finally, we have the Young Artist Awards, 1991. It was nominated for Young Artist Award, Most Entertaining Family Youth Motion Picture Drama. Which wow, is an interesting worst, category. The the like, worst. why would it that be the category that this is thrown in, especially for, like, a nomination, you know? I don't know. Um, in any case, moving on to the synopsis of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The evil Foot Clan, led by Shredder, have taken crime to a whole new level in the beloved city of New York. It is up to four mutant turtles, a news reporter, and a sports egomaniac to stop their crime spree. Will the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles be able to overcome the powerful Shredder and stop his reign of crime? Or will Shredder erase his enemies one by one? You know, I like how every week when we get to the synopsis, you automatically turn your voice into like the 80s. Because uh, I love it. 80s theater <laughs> trailer guy. <laughs> All right, now we're going to talk a little bit about the cast. Um, Judith Hogue, she played April O'Neil. Elias Codius played Casey Jones. Josh Payas played Raphael, the voice, and also the passenger in the cab. But a little fact before we get into it, I'll, I'll mention it again. But every turtle in the movie that was in the suit actually had a cameo as their real person in the movie. That's awesome. Uh, David Foreman played Leonardo and a gang member. Brian Tochi was Leonardo. Leif Tilden played Donatello and a foot messenger. Corey Feldman huh. was Donatello's voice. What? Yes. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I didn't know any of the cast names. But like, Corey Feldman, at least you've heard of it. Yeah, I know. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Michelin Sisti was Michelangelo slash the pizza, pizza man. Robbie Riss was Michelangelo's voice. Kevin Clash was Splinter's voice. James Saito was the Shredder. David McCharen was the Shredder and Oruku Saki voice. Toshishiro Obata played Tatsu. Michael McKinohoe played Tatsu's voice. And Michael Turney played Danny Pennington, who was the boy in the movie. Yeah. So, um, as we did last time when we did The Magnificent Seven, um, we hi- I decided to highlight a female in this. I decided to highlight April O'Neil. Okay. Um, so, we'll, there's some interesting facts about her life, so we'll jump into Judith Hogue. She was born June 29th, 1968, in Newburyport, Massachusetts. She has two children, a son and a daughter. She was married to Vince Grant, but divorced in 2016. She began acting at the young age of 13. She has studied acting with Diana Castle for years, who is one of the most respected acting coaches and teachers. That's awesome. She went to Walnut Hill High School as well as Paige Turco, who played April O'Neil in the sequel, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Use in 1991. Huh. Best known for roles in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as April O'Neil, she was also in Armageddon and Hitchcock. I remember her in Armageddon. I forgot she was in Hitchcock. And here's some of her quotes. This work is never boring. I can go from pretending to live one kind of life to another, to another, to another. 
It's like a big game of dress-up and make-believe. The longer I do this, the more fun it gets, and the freer I allow myself to be creatively. My advice to new actors is, don't be lazy. Go after what you desire. Don't heed the commonplace advice that is meant to discourage you. If you want to go and get it, be willing to work hard and be patient. Be kind to yourself. That's a, that's a good that's a good little bit of information. Also, uh, don't let rejection, uh, you know, get you down. Because like when when it comes to uh, and this is just a little tidbit about Hollywood uh, in general. But you know, uh, if anyone listening is like an inspiring actor, um, like don't get discouraged by rejection uh, because it will happen a lot. Like oh, yeah. a lot. You you, you will. Uh, you'll, some, you'll audition for you know hundreds of roles, and but once you finally nail it, it's it's an amazing feeling. Well, even some of the most famous actors have not gotten parts that they wanted. Exactly, yeah. Which we'll talk about some of the research I was doing last night in a future episode. I was shocked at some of the roles that this certain individual tried out for and did not get because it would have told. I'll throw it out there. Um, Patrick Stewart of Star Trek fame. He yeah. was actually considered for the role of the Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, which went to Johnny Depp. So that's can you imagine? <laughs> that would have completely changed. The, that's what I'm saying. Wow. So just yeah. just just because you tried out for it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get it. Yeah, but keep going. And she also says, um, I think commercials get a bad rap that there's no creativity to them. But I haven't found that to enti- be entirely true. The process of auditioning for them can be tedious, but actually doing them can be really fun. And here we go. She, here's what she had to say about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1990. I got this movie while I was still shooting Cadillac Man in 1990 and had to fly off to North Carolina on the weekends. Everyone wondered what kind of strange movie I was off doing. Only Robin Williams, who was in Cadillac Man with her, uh, had heard of the Ninja Turtles. He had collected all of the comic books and couldn't wait to see the movie. He brought his kids to the premiere and surprised me. The movie ended up being a big hit. I still have a hard time watching the movie. I was never satisfied with how it came out. It lost a lot of its soul. Elias Cotillas, who played Casey Jones, however, was brilliant. So there you have a little interesting facts about her and some quotes that she never really... Just the way she complained about this movie, but also that Robin Williams was a big Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle oh, fan. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I, I think it's interesting that some, some people forget that Robin Williams was a huge geek, and I love that. It's, <laughs> That's it's probably so why, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so are you ready to move into some unknown facts and trivia? Let's dive right in. Be, be feel, feel free to ad-lib anytime you want. Cowabunga. This <laughs> was the highest grossing independent film of all time, having made $135 million in domestic box office and $66 million in the foreign box office. So right there you can see it was more popular here than it was overseas, which is usually the other way around in most of the movies that we've covered so far. That's true, yeah. Here we go again. Robin Williams, who was a big fan of the franchise, provided Judith Hogue with information regarding her character through his comic book collection. <laughs> the two were co-starring in Cadillac Man in 1990 when the Turtles film went into production. I mean, that, that's great because, like, when you see a movie adaptation of uh, something that you love, you know, uh, you like to know that, um, or you have you get more comfort knowing that whoever's playing a certain character knows about the source material. Uh, now, I do understand some actors do like to come in blind. They're like, I'm not going to read the source material because I want to be able to um, act 
organically in the moment when it comes to like certain scenes so they don't know what's going to happen and they can be like surprised um right. and how cool is it that it just so happens that she was filming with robin williams who is the biggest teenage mutant ninja turtle yeah. fan at the time i wonder what he was like oh she's gonna be april O'Neil. you know i could just hear him doing his voices and all <laughs> judith hogue was not asked to reprise her role as april in the film's sequels due to her own personal complaining particularly about the six-day schedule and the amount of violence in the movie hmm Interesting. So sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you know what I mean? Keep your personal opinions to yourself. I will say no matter which April O'Neil, before I knew what Crushes was, I always had a crush on April <laughs> O'Neil when I was a kid and watched these well, movies. Why does that not surprise <laughs> me? It doesn't matter which April O'Neil, right? Right. The actors who physically portrayed the turtles also had cameo roles in the film, as I stated before. Josh Paez, who played Raphael, plays a passenger in the back of a taxi cab right after Raphael hops on the cab's hood. Mike Michelin Sisti, who plays Michelangelo, plays the pizza delivery man who delivers the pizza to the turtles in the sewer. Leif Tilden, who plays Donatello, also plays the foot messenger that meets April in the subway station. And David Foreman, who plays Leonardo, plays a gang member in the warehouse during Casey's fight with Tatsu. So that's kind of a cool way to save some money, I guess. Instead of paying an extra, you just pay. That is cool to have a cameo, especially when you're in a suit the whole time. Uh, originally, Steve Barron wished to replicate April O'Neil's jumpsuit look from the early Mirage comics and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1987 cartoon. The look was going to closer resemble the cartoon with a yellow-colored jumper and a big head of red hair as opposed to a green jumpsuit and brown hair. However, Judith Hogue found the jump- jumpsuit horrifying, and the idea was nixed. The yellow raincoat April wears in the beginning of the movie is a homage to the yellow jumpsuit she wears in the 1987 cartoon. That's interesting. So once again, she well, it's actually interesting that she had, uh, like, her her sort of opinion really weighed on right, the choices the, of the film. Because sometimes, depending on the director, maybe like you're gonna uh, wear the it actor will just speak up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the actor will like speak up. It's like, well, what are you doing? You're an actor. Just act the well, part. It's like, um, like Alfred let us Hitchcock. The rest, you know, yeah, Alfred okay, Hitchcock yeah, that yeah. we talked about that he would let his people, you know, they would give opinions or suggestions, and he would roll with them. Or even when we talked about the Breakfast Club, that yeah. uh, John Hughes. You know, most of that movie was ad lib, so he really oh, didn't yeah. care. The Foot Clan is a parody of The Hand, a clan of ninjas from Daredevil Comics and Marvel. Yep. <laughs> Brian Tochi, the voice of Leonardo, and Robbie Riss, the voice of Michelangelo, are the only actors who appear in all three live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. Interesting. Huh. In the script and novelization, the young boy that Tatsu attacks was to die from the beating. <clears throat> the sound of the boy breathing and. Others saying he would be all right were added to the last minute after the movie ratings. A board objected to the scene, and the French version of the movie, Shinsho does die. Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, if you ever watch any French foreign films, French movies are... Violent. No, not violent, just tragic. Just very <laughs> tragic. Like, I've, I've watched a lot of French films, and each one has just such a tragic, sad ending. So it's like, it's not surprising that they'd be okay to, like, you know, throw that little bit in there. All three newswomen seen or mentioned in the film are named after a month, April, May, and June. The film was set in New York City, but actually, much of the filming took place in North Carolina, and only a couple of location shots uh, were done in New York City to capture famous landmark areas. Okay. Jim Henson. Do you know who Jim Henson is? I don't. Or Okay, so what was what else was he in? How about he's the creator of the Muppets? Oh, okay, yeah. I just had to jog my memory. <laughs> Jim Henson, whose workshop provided the movie's turtle costumes, was reportedly upset about the level of violence in the finished movie. While he was proud to have helped advance the art of animatronics, he viewed the violence as excessive, pointless, and not his style. 
However, as Steve Barron had directed the pilot episode of The Storyteller in 1987, which set the tone for the entire series, Henson agreed to do it as sort of a favor to Barron. Okay. I see a lot of... I see a trend here. A lot of people like, this is too violent. And it's, it's interesting. And, you know, once you go back and watch it like I did, um, I wonder what Henson would say about some of the violence in the movies today. Do you know oh, what I mean? Man. I mean... He wouldn't be okay with a single oh, Marvel no. movie. <laughs> uh, Josh Payas, Raphael, suffers from claustrophobia. So after filming Raphael's scenes, he would have to take the helmet off very quickly. Yeah, I can see that. I can't imagine being stuck in that thing. During the battle with Shredder, Leonardo is the only turtle to successfully land a strike when he hit Shredder on his arm with his sword. That makes sense. Shredder's a beast. Can, can I just say, though, after watching it, that fight scene at the end was just terrible. <laughs> I mean, it was terrible. I, you know, the things they could have done with Shredder and the turtles, you know, had a big old fight. Oh, yeah. And it was just like, each turtle goes up there, they, they get whooped. Pretty know? much, yeah. <laughs> so. I, I guess it's hard to replicate some of the fight scenes you get in the comics with you know live action with costume and stuff but i mean at least uh, i mean at least give them a shot you know at least yeah. make it more than two seconds and just run oh it's my turn now you know yeah exactly there's a scene I, get with two of them. I think it's mikey and donatello are playing paper rock scissors you know to see which one's gonna go next <laughs> Uh, in the comics and the cartoons, the turtles are around three to four foot tall. However, for obvious costuming reasons, the turtles are the same height as April Casey Shredder and the Foot Clans between five six and six foot. Huh. Editor Sally Minky, primarily known for collaborating with Quentin Tarantino, made her feature film debut working on this film. According to the audio commentary on the German version of the DVD, the movie was originally planned to be made and released in the mid nineteen eighties, before the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles nineteen eighty seven cartoon was on the air. The movie was intended to be a direct comic book adaptation, but no studio or country except France and Germany wanted to invest in the project. Wow. That could have been really different. Yeah, absolutely. And there's back to the fact that it just didn't seem to... uh, I mean, maybe the comics and the cartoon weren't so worldwide either. Like, it was just kind of a here-in-the-States type of thing. Right. To help disguise how cumbersome and slow the turtle costumes were, dialogue scenes were shot at 23 FPS frames per second, so that when they were played at the normal speed of 24 frames per second, they appeared a bit sharper. For the same reason, fight scenes were shot at 22 or 23 FPS. That's, that's a nice little, uh, like, uh, sort of uh, cinema, cinematographic, like, sort of a uh, trick. That was actually a trick I learned uh, early when I took a f- film class in uh, high school. We would do our own little filming and stuff, and me and my friends would do, like, little tiny, like, choreographed fights and stuff, and... Uh, uh, I learned that method. Like you cut the FPS of you know a shot, and then basically you can make it seem faster and more sharp uh, when it's actually slower than what you see. And with you in a movie, I'm sure it was pretty slow. So that <laughs> I'm, was come good. on now. <laughs> Towards the end of the movie, one of the street punks tells the police chief to check out the East Warehouse over on Laird, uh, Lairdman Island. The creators of the Ninja Turtle were Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. However, the original script stated that the warehouse was on the corner of Lairdman and East, also a play on the creators' names. Josh Payas says Raphael is the only actor who physically portrays and voices the same turtle. All the other turtles are portrayed by both body and then another one for the voice actors. Yep. Many major studios such as Walt Disney Pictures, Columbia Pictures, MGM, and United Artists, Orion Pictures, Paramount, Picture, or Paramount, whose parent company, Viacom, would acquire the Teenage Mutant Turtles property in 2009, 
and Warner Brothers all turned down the film for distribution as they were worried that despite the popularity of the cartoon and the toy line, the film could potentially be a box office disappointment like Masters of the Universe in 1987. Which was a which was a tragedy. I was gonna say I didn't even know they made a, a, a live action. You never seen it? No. I mean, I, from the sounds of it, be, maybe I should prepared to be disappointed. <laughs> uh, the film uh, finally found distribution roughly halfway through the initial production via the then small and independent production company New Line, New Line Cinema, which at that point had been no more for distributing low budget B movies and art house fare. In the original trailer, there is a shot of the turtle rising up from what looks like a swamp. The shot was cut from the final release, but is part of a longer scene that was later used near the end of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Use, in 1991. According to Josh Pius on the podcast, I Was There Too, the director Steve Barron was fired near the end of production as the producers thought the film would become too dark. It is uncertain how different the film would have been if, it had, if he had been in, during, there during the final cut. I feel like that happens a lot when you're trying to make something based off a book, uh, a comic, or I'd say not, yeah, a, a more like an action book, or uh, especially comics. Uh, when you want to really stay true to the source material, uh, you you bump into those boundaries a lot. Even today, uh, with as you know free flowing as we have things, and how more accepted you know certain things could be, there's still sort of uh, those barriers you'll hit and be like, I really want to stay true to the comic, but you know, it's too violent, uh, or you know, this it that. It does make you kind of wonder it. what what kind of movie we would have ended up with if he would have stayed. Up. Maybe we wouldn't have got that terrible fight scene. Maybe it would have been better. <laughs> it took three puppeteers to operate the Splinter puppet. Kevin Clash performs the puppet while the facial expressions are remote controlled by another puppeteer, and the arms are controlled by the puppeteer who works along with Kevin during the performances of the puppet. That's a very good animatronic. Well, it's kind of like Job of the Hutt in Star Wars. I think it was six or eight people that were inside him. Yeah. Shredder and the Foot Clan's hideout were filmed in an abandoned cement factory called the Ideal Cement Factory outside of Wilmington, North Carolina in Castle Hayne. This location was also used uh, as the set for Dino Hatton in Super Mario Brothers in 1993 <laughs> and Top Dollars Nightclub in The Crow in 1994. Okay, that's... That's, that's pretty awesome. interesting. All of the shirts that Danny wears in the film have a picture of Sex Pistols bassist Sid Vicious on them. <laughs> when Raphael got knocked into the trash can by Casey Jones, the face and the animatronics inside head caved in and broke the stunt guy's nose. Raphael's stunt, or original stunt guy, is replaced by one of the foot soldier stuntmen named Ken Scott. Ken did a lot of the major scenes as a foot soldier, including the nunchuck face-off against Michelangelo. In the foot warehouse, the boxes in the foreground near the skate halfpipe read Mirage. This is a reference to Mirage Comics, the comic book company that originally published Kevin Eastman and Peter Lard's Ninja Turtles comic. So, paying a little homage. Yeah. To the Who, who's, um, what, 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 I wonder what comic uh, company owns it now. I think it's still Mirage, ain't it? Is it still Mirage? I, I, yeah, so. I don't really see too many Mirage. Like, yeah, the, I don't like even, even know if they really make Turtles comics anymore, do they? I, I mean, besides the crossover we were talking right. about before the podcast, you know, the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle crossover, I, I haven't really heard any uh, Turtles comics. Right. Uh, I think the only, like, as far as, like, old comics go, uh, the only ones I've really seen that are still running is, like, te- uh, uh, there's a Power Ranger comic line still. I thought uh, that was pretty cool. But I guess, um, according to the cover of that, it says DC, so I don't know if DCs have actually took them, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
this is the last theatrical film that Jim Henson was associated with. He died about a month and a half after the film's release. Corey Feldman said he was offered only $1,500 U.S. dollars to do work, voice work for this film. Corey accepted, believing the producers who told him that this was only a small, low-budget independent film, hoping that it would have moderate success on VHS if they were lucky. The movie ended up making millions of dollars at the box office. So there again, <laughs> it's like that Bruce Willis contract we talked about where he was signed for $17 million. I don't know exactly yep. how much Corey Feldman got, you know, if he had a yeah. little thing in his contract about future monetary gains. And I remember this next fact pretty good. Pizza Hut engaged in a $20 million marketing campaign tied to the film, despite the fact that Domino's Pizza we used as a product placement in the film itself. Items including advertising, print, radio, and television, and several rebate coupons. In the film, April is a reporter for Channel 3. In the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1987 cartoon, she was a reporter for Channel 6. Hmm. Jennifer Bills, Marissa Tomei, Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, Melanie Griffith, Sean Young, Lorraine Bracco, Winona Ryder, and Brooke Shields were all considered for the role of April O'Neil. Wow. That's a lot of that is good a lot, And a lot of big names, too. Big names. I'm a huge fan of Winona Ryder. Like, she's, like her yeah, and uh, yeah, Stranger man, Things. Brooke Shields, is, come on. Uh, I really like Nicole Kidman, too. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised Sandra Bullock didn't end up with it because she probably would have been perfect. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um, the movie's budget was just over 13 million, roughly one third of what Batman in 1989 had cost. To produce a special effects blockbuster, the studio had to spend money carefully. Unexpected help from the state of North Carolina, who offered to help with work permits to drum up business for the bankrupt Dino De Laurentiis Studio in Wilmington, North Carolina, which had been taken over by the state. Establishing shots of iconic elements like the New York City skyline and its subway systems were filmed on location in the Big Apple, as they couldn't easily replicate on a North Carolina soundstage. That makes sense. Yep. Here's a quick: which which bat which uh, actor Batman was 1989? Michael Keaton. I, that's what I was thinking. I just wanted to make sure because that was Batman. It wasn't Batman Returns. Yeah. It wasn't right. Batman and Robin. It just was just Batman. The Batman. <laughs> The motors that were built into each turtle head to create facial expressions were packed very tightly, or into it tightly, and very uncomfortable for the performers in the suit. Josh Price has described the noise like being in Grand Central Station at rush hour with a tin can over your head. Oh, I can't man. imagine. There are also numerous deleted scenes, mostly on the farm, that gave the four turtles much more character development, expanding on April and Casey's romance, and would be put later scenes into a different context, such as the following. April and Casey's reaction to Mikey's turtle wax joke was originally one of relief after he goes through a severe depression when he destroys a punching bag as part of the barn's wall. An extended training uh, training sequence where Leo proves a point by turning his mask around and fighting blind, followed by the other trolls taking turns doing the same. The scene rather famously has Donatello sporting a straw hat. Various scenes of the turtles training on their own or in pairs trying to master the technique Leo shows them earlier. Some of the April and Casey scenes involve him trying to help her with a stuck truck door while she declines and exits on the driver's side. Another leads into the scene of the two of them talking on the porch swing where the night before she shows him her drawings of the turtles but tries to hide the one she did of him in a beanie. They both share a laugh over it. Also a game of Ninja Hot Potato where the turtles toss around an apple and the holder has to defend against the other three while taking a bite out of it makes the later scene where Ralph finishes off an apple after feeding a squad of foot ninjas a callback. So, uh, pretty interesting stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
A lot going on there. <laughs> when getting this movie started, Mark Friedman knew it would have to offer a significantly different experience from the Fred Wolf-produced animated TV show. Therefore, an effort was made to make this movie stay as close as possible to the vision co-creators Kevin Eastman and Peter Lard presented in their original comic book series. The four turtles are named after artists of the Italian Renaissance, Donatelli Bardi, 1386 to 1466, Leonardo da Vinci, 1452 to 1519, Michelangelo Buonarroti, I know I'm probably saying that wrong, <laughs> 1475 to 1565. I think we're going to start calling that I Terence it. Is <laughs> this when I mess the name up? I think that's hilarious. I mean, plenty of people. It's <laughs> and not, Raphael, it's definitely not a uh, exclusively me thing. <laughs> and Raphael Santi, 1483 to 1520. The names of Michelangelo and Raphael as turtles have been anglicized. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mark Friedman strongly felt that a theatrical release for the turtles was necessary if the property was to maintain its popularity. That makes sense. The scene where Raphael exits the movie theater was originally going to be different. He would have committed cool car, stupid costume as a reference to Batman in 1989, which was in theaters <laughs> during the filming of this movie. That would have been hilarious. That's hilarious. Especially since now there's a Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah, right? right? That would have been hilarious. Actor and martial artist Ernie Reyes Jr. was brought in to replace an injured Hong Kong stuntman who had initially performed Donatello's stunts. Reyes Jr. said the suit got so hot during filming they had to drink a gallon of water a day just to keep hydrated. Wow. The movie portrays Hama Yo- Hamato Yoshi as Splinter's master and owner, and Splinter learns his ninja skills through observing and mimicking him. This is true to the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics, but was the first time this version of Splinter's origin was seen. In Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1987, which was the first ever adaptation of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Master Splinter is Hamato Yoshi and became a rat after being exposed to mutagen. Huh. After design sketches were created, the construction team used the studio's backlot to create some of the sets. There were problems with the manholes that led to the turtles' home and that an 8-foot square room had to be constructed beneath them, but found water at about 5 feet and thus had to pour concrete in the ground rooms to keep the water out. In the 1980s, the first pitch Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird got for a film treatment was from Schlockmeister Roger Corman's New World Pictures. The idol was to have the turtles played by four comedians who were popular at the time. Gallagher, Sam Kinison, Bobcat Goldthwait, and Billy Crystal. The actors <laughs> would be dressed in turtle shells to have their arms and legs painted green. Another treatment received at the time took the turtles into R-rated territory, including a scene with partially nude nuns on roller skates fighting the heroes. What? Yes. So, so maybe we're... Sorry. I'm trying to picture it, aren't you? Oh, my God. I mean, like, where did that come from? I don't know, like, but, uh, but I, I just, I'm just, I just read to... the facts, but I just read the facts. <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe we're I'll, glad I'll, it wasn't honest, made in the 80s. Everything I know about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is from the cartoons. I don't know how crazy the comics got, or if this was just some crazy pitch in the meeting but, or something like can that. Can you imagine those four comedians? Oh, like uh, Bobcat that would have been from from... What was a police academy where we played Zed yeah, with yeah. that voice? I just. It, yeah. well, it would have been a completely different movie for one. Well, Turtles would have been hilarious. But <laughs> and secondly. But just like, painting their arms green and having the yeah, shell. That, that would have been so, so weird. cheesy. And then on, on t- then you're. you're ah, man. Like. 
You're speechless. Just, just the nuns, like the, 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 the roller skates. The, what, what was it like? Topless nuns and roller skates. Yeah, let me go back That's and find ridiculous. it for you. It was another treatment received at the time. Took the turtles into R-rated territory and included a scene with partially nude nuns Par- on roller okay. skates partially fighting nude the heroes. Nuns on roller skates. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Like 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 n- n- ninja nuns. I think there's a, a ninjas. Ninjas. Hilarious. <laughs> oh my gosh! They, they tried to they tried to bring in ninjas. I can't believe it. Michelangelo doesn't speak the entire time they're at the farmhouse. Interesting. I wonder what happened there. Well, I remember they cut a lot of those scenes too. So that's true. Maybe, yeah. Uh, maybe it would have developed his character more. Yeah. But he's all he's my favorite. I can't. I'm not gonna lie. I love Michelangelo. <laughs> Filming began in July 1989, a mere two weeks after the theatrical release of Batman in 1989. Two months were allocated for filming, and the production came together much faster than a typical Henson project. Jim Henson's Creature Shop Shop's London-based crew worked long hours to construct several versions of each turtle over the course of the 10-week pre-production period. The costumes had to be perfect down to the last detail and were handcrafted by Henson artists. For the flashback of the turtles growing up, Steve Barron was going for a retro look and decided these scenes would be shot on Super 8 film. Because these scenes used real turtles as well as a mini puppet Young Splinter and Young Turtles, they were time-consuming scenes and were given to the second unit under second unit director Brian Henson. The turtles themselves were created by Jim Henson's Creature Shop in London. Jim Henson said that the creatures were the most advanced that he had ever worked on or worked with. The creatures were made uh, first made out of fiberglass and then remolded out of clay. They were produced as molds to cast the whole body in foam rubber latex. The work at the shop was completed within 18 weeks. Wow. I mean, that's a crazy deadline. On top of that, uh, if they used fiberglass, that would have been heavy. Uh, the, a lot well, heavier. Well, you're going to find out. Yeah, there's something in here about how heavy. Just the stuff in the shell was like 60 pounds, Oof. like all the animatronics. Yeah, yeah. we'll get to it. Uh, Golden Harvest approached Limelight Entertainment about co-producing the film with Limelight's Steve Barron tapped as director. Barron had recently directed several episodes of The Storyteller in 1987 for Jim Henson. Golden Harvest knew that a live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie would require extensive use of animatronics, and Barron's experience in that field would be invaluable to the production. Have you seen The Storyteller? I have not. I'm actually not familiar with The Storyteller. Because the interior scenes in Wilmington were shot close to a nearby airport, this is hilarious too, this presented problems to the Turtles' performers' radio-controlled animatronic heads would receive signals from the control tower, causing their facial expressions to go into involuntary spasms. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I wonder how much, like... Film was wasted on trying to film a scene and then just... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I wonder if they kept any of them in there, you know what I mean? Just see Mikey go... You know, <laughs> uh, one of the first story meetings, director Steve Barron had met with Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird to go through the comics. Barron told them the movie's right there, to which the co-creators approved. Todd Langan was hired to write the final script. This is the first time that the Turtles use their short names, being Leo for Leonardo, Donnie for Donatello, Ralph for Raphael, and Mikey for Michelangelo, which they generally refer to themselves in every incarnation but the original comics. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Trolls 1987 and TMNT in 2007. Hmm. Scott Wolf had an early role as a foot recruit. To get the right design for the sets, production designer Roy Forge Smith and art director Gary Wisner went to the New York City four months prior to filming and took still photographs of rooftops and other various locations. 
With the exclusion of Josh Payas, all the actors who voiced the turtles in the film later voiced characters in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle shows. Brian uh, Tochi, Leonardo would appear in the 1993 episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1987. Uh, Robbie Riss, Michelangelo, would play Mondo Gecko in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 2012. And Corey Feldman, Donatello, would play Slash in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 2012. Hmm. Live Entertainment Incorporated announced that the film would go to VHS via its family home entertainment label on October 4, 1990. The suggested retail price? Twenty four ninety nine. Oof! How far have we come? <laughs> so far, so far. I remember when those cost that much. But if you wanted the movie that you paid, you know what I mean. Why not? Right. The original opening of the film contained the turtles' giant shells mysteriously emerging from the river at night before engaging on a long, complicated tracking shot uh, throughout the city. Budget constraints caused this to be replaced by the scenes of the foot gang committing acts of theft during daylight. The shells emerged from water. Shot did make it briefly into the trailer. Hmm. Similarly, the scene in which the turtles attacked the teens mugging April with the light being knocked out was a result of uh, the production not having the time to choreograph another fight sequence. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, just, I mean, <laughs> choreographing a, a fight sequence takes a while. I mean, not only do you know you need to perform it well, but you know it's remembering all the steps and it's like, you know, like a dance, but more elaborate. At least I think so. Professor Professor Toro. Tanaka was originally considered for the role of Master Tatsu before Toshiro Obata got the part. The first scene in the opening credits is a zoom into New York sewers. This is an iconic shot for the title sequence of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1987. Huh, interesting. David Foreman would play Leonardo again yeah. for the second and last time when he made a cameo in Bernard and the Genie in 1991, <laughs> where Leonardo is a little boy's baby doll or a little boy's doll, which magically comes to life and demonstrates some martial arts fighting skills. I don't know what movie that is, but that sounds like a really fun scene. I don't either, but I can remember <laughs> what was it. Uh, did you ever see The Indian in the Cupboard? I did. There was a lot <laughs> of cameos Vader. in that one. Yeah. That, was a, that was a fun movie. The original comic parodies many elements of Daredevil. Uh, the ooze that gave the turtles their power similar to the toxic waste that m- takes Mac Murdock's eyesight is in the fact meant to be from the same incident. I did not know that, did you? Interesting. I did not know that. Uh, actually, you know, it's funny because, like, for the longest time, I didn't even, uh, until, like, way later, I, I didn't put two and two together and realize that, you know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles took a lot from Daredevil. Yeah. Murdoch does not identify by name only because of copyright issues. The Turtles' mentor's name is Splinter, which, uh, while Daredevil's is named Stick. Daredevil first fights a crime ring called The Hand while the Turtles battle the foot. Judith Hogue later appeared in Armageddon 1998 with Ben Affleck and Michael Clark Duncan, who appeared together again in Daredevil in 2003. Oh, we don't talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> the scene where April is being delivered the message by the foot, it says it's the City Hall Station, but was actually filmed at the Hoyt Shimmerhorn G train station in Brooklyn. Someone from New York is going to be like, it said this. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> When Donatello Donnie shows Michelangelo the, the old pizza that was left over by Danny a few days earlier, Donnie asks, Do you like penicillin on your pizza? This is a hint that the pizza had gone bad and is covered with mold. Mold is the origin of the antibiotics known as penicillin. That the pizza is ruined is confirmed when both Donatello and Michelangelo start to hum the military funeral tune taps to indicate the pizza is inedible. You gotta love those little, like, uh... Just nods, little jokes that, like, if you know, it's funny. If not, 
it, it just goes like completely over your head. You know, because I'm sure when I was a kid, I didn't get it. And no. I'm like, now I hear the joke and I'm like, haha, I get it. Uh, that, well, that goes to the scene where uh, she's like, oh, I would offer you guys to come in and eat some. She's like, but all I got is some leftover pizza. And they're like, pizza? You said the magic <laughs> word. <laughs> right. Uh, Russell Mulchke was considered to direct. Benny Urquidez and Richard Norton were considered for the role of Casey Jones and were also considered to do fight choreography for the movie as well. Interesting. One of the writers, Bobby Herbeck, wrote Casey Jones to have a cricket bat after attending a cricket game with director Steve Barron. The cricket bat was not in the original Raphael number one comic. Hmm. Ryan Stills quoted the baby turtle's first word, pizza, from the flashback scene, which Splinter tells April how Splinter and the turtles first came to be in a game of scenes from a hat. And who's lied in it in 1980 when he acted out Baby Drew's first words, mocking its host, Drew Carey? <laughs> Jeff, Amada, James Liu, and Cam Ewan were considered for fight choreography on the film. About At the 57-minute mark, there is a box labeled Archie Comics visible in the Foots Warehouse. The company published Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics in the 1980s and the 1990s. Oh, wow. Do you ever read Archie Comics? Yeah, uh, they were always in the, um, the Sunday funnies. <laughs> I used to, I used to read those like religiously, like all oh, the, the Sunday comics. They're in color. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. In this film, Raphael was given a quick-tempered, foul-mouthed personality that would often conflict with uh, Leonardo. It was later used in other adaptations of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics. In the original animated series, he was given the personality of cool but crude. Hmm. Interesting. The character of Danny only appears in this movie. He has never seen again or heard from in any other variant of the Ninja Turtles history. Because he just wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. And interesting, like... Well, not uh, just him, but I mean, talking about comics and everything. He's not in anything. Yeah, that's true. Uh, when it comes to, like, so the, the previous fact is as far as, um... Uh, what was the previous fact? Jog my memory here. About the, uh... Colba Crude, Raphael. Okay, yeah, so how sort of uh, Splinter is sort of, you know, Stick's counterpart, which is it's very interesting because uh, Splinter is a very, you know, caring uh, sort of, you know, sensei, right? Um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a great mentor to the Turtles and such, and Stick, on the other hand, is where he's a great mentor, but he's also very harsh and crude. So it's, it's almost a contrasting personality when it comes yeah. to those two. In the background of one of the shots of the city, there is a clear poster for Critters from 1986 hanging on the wall outside a theater. <laughs> Nowhere in this movie or its sequels is mentioned the word mutagen. It's referred to as a strange glowing liquid or ooze, even though mutagen is a word used to describe why the turtles are mutants. Huh. Produced with no studio backing, then shopped around to various distri- distributors, one studio that rejected the film was Paramount, who would end up distributing the 2014 and 2016 films. Because oh, it's like, oh, we missed out on all that money. <laughs> we missed out on it last time. Let's not make sure that happens again. Here you go. This this was this this one hits home. Playmate Toys, the company that produced the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles line of action figures from the late '80s and the mid '90s, declined to produce any movie-based toys off the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1990 due to film uh, the violence in the film and the content of the language and overall dark tone the movie presented. However, with the lighter tone of the sequel Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to The Secret of the Ooze, released a year later, Playmates would release the very popular and now highly collectible movie star Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles assortment. That's another thing about the violence. I I just don't, I don't remember. But let me ask you a question, okay? 
So the, the, they were worried about the violence in this, but something like Star Wars, who just totally took over the toy market, yeah, had more violence in it than this. I absolutely. Do believe. And like we're talking about right. I mean, we're talking after about Luke's time. hand getting cut off in right? 1980. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and uh, on top of that, I mean, you're looking like right after the 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 era of corny action movies with all kinds of violence. Like it's interesting that. Everybody suddenly is like, "Oh, it's too violent." I'm like, maybe because it was more directed towards kids. I guess. The kids but were... I mean, I my, my my parents were very cool, and um, and I was I was a mature kid, so I was able to what, watch. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can have my immature moments. That's the fun part about being an adult. You can choose when to have your immature moments. But uh, so, but uh, you know, I was able to watch movies, uh, adult movies and such. Um, and I just don't uh, remember there being a huge stigma about uh, violence in movies and stuff like that. Well, I don't remember. E- big even back- amongst my friends, I don't and remember stuff. a big backlash about this movie. Either. Yeah, but yeah, Batman was released the, the the before this, and you didn't have a problem. That, you know, what I mean, I guess because it's more based towards kids. That's the only thing I, I can think of. I guess, yeah, it's so weird. Uh. In the comic storyline, it was actually Leonardo instead of Raphael who gets ambushed by the Foot Clan on top of the building. When Raphael says cricket, nobody understands cricket. Funny thing was, it was shot in Wilmington, North Carolina, and if you listen closely, you can still hear crickets chirping, even though they did their very best to edit them out. (laughs) (laughs) The actors inside the suits lost at least 20 pounds by the end of production. Being in the humidity and heat in North Carolina, as well as lugging around 60 pounds of animatronics in the shell didn't help. During the fire scene in April's apartment, it got so hot for the actors that they could only do one or two takes before having to move on. They nailed yes, it. That's completely understandable. Um, I bet how miserable that would have I been. I mean, not only are, for sure, those suits very hot, but uh, anytime you're working with pyrotechnics, oof. Not, I mean, you got the, 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 the set lighting in the suit on top of pyrotechnics. It's amazing they got through those scenes. Right. There was a commercial flight path over the farm, which we already talked about, about the giving them autumn voluntary spasms. I don't know why I double double. There's, there's a lot of movies that have problems with flights and stuff, and every now and then you'll catch, like, their best sort of, uh, uh, um, their best take still has, like, a plane in the background, but you'll, like, barely miss it if you're not looking for it. <laughs> The liquid used to make Splinter cry was actually very dangerous. The tears actually ate away at the latex underneath. The director, Steve Byrne, had to fight with Henson's team to get them to use more in order to make Splinter's emotions seem more believable. Huh. As it is. There was so much wear and tear on the turtles' costumes that they constantly had to be touched up, as well as whole new limb replacements were kept on hand, as they had to be switched out quite often. I mean, that makes sense, especially because uh, they said they really wanted you know, highly detail within the costumes and stuff like that. So you wouldn't want that wear and tear to appear in your final cut. The turtle costumes were actually too big to go down a manhole, so custom ones had to be built. Also, it was very hard to see out of the costumes, but if you look close enough, you can see the two tiny slips beneath the mask that the actors had to look out of. Interesting. Yeah. I will say about uh, the, the bit about the manhole covers that they had to make. They, they do, like, seem bigger and... uh then you see an actual manhole, and when you're a kid, you're disappointed because you're like, "Wait, I thought these were bigger." Yeah. Or maybe there's bigger manholes elsewhere. <laughs> uh, and here's here's like five things I found of uh, errors in the movie, or uh, you know, goofs, whatever you want to yeah. call them. 
When the turtles are leaving April's apartment, one of Leonardo's sword hilts catches the wall and bends easily, showing that these were fake swords probably made of rubber. Like he turns down the hall and he catches it and bends. Yeah. Uh, when Raphael gets thrown through the window after being sabotaged by the clan, the dummy is still being used. When the other turtles and April come to check on him, his shell actually bends when one of the turtles leans down on him. Oh, man. Uh, towards the end of the movie, when Raphael is fighting clan soldiers on the fire escape, he tosses one into the fire escape stairs. The only problem is the foot soldier is not even close, but the sound effect still goes up. He's like, goes, twing, it's like two foot. Uh, when Raphael wakes up at the farmhouse and him and Leonardo embrace, Donatello and April are standing in the doorway. When Donnie leans back laughing with his mouth open, you can see two eyes and a mouth inside of the actor. So when he leans back, his mouth is yeah. open. You can see him. I was like, it's kind of scary looking. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I can imagine if you catch that. Uh, especially like the first time you're watching, you're like, oh, that's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> there is a crew member with a red hat and a white shirt clearly visible behind a table to the left during Raphael and Leonardo's discussion in April's apartment. <laughs> you see him trying to hide behind yeah. the table, but he's, he's still there. <laughs> that's pretty And funny. once again, no salaries could be found except for the one for Corey Feldman mentioned in the above statements. So, Terrence, give me your opinion on the movie. This is a very fun movie. If you like even just a little bit of anything Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or even if you remember liking it as a kid uh, and you somehow passed this movie, uh, or you just, you know, like fun movies like this, definitely check it out. It's it's one of my favorite childhood movies, along with just the... I liked all the old Ninja Turtles movies, to be honest. They the were cartoon all was very fantastic. Fun. And the cartoon, especially. I, I loved the cartoon. Uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely a must-watch movie. Uh, if, if, like I said, even if you just liked it a little bit, it's definitely a must watch. Um, if you haven't, I would say, like, maybe watch an episode or, or two of the cartoon, see if you something you want to get into, and then watch the movie. Um, it, it's a fun little little rabbit hole to jump into, but it's definitely fun. I, I like it. Yeah. Um, watch um, it. I just, I just rewatched it for the podcast, you know, see what I could find and everything. And, um, one thing that stood out for me, I mean, I love I love the turtles, always have. But one thing that stood out for me for this movie, um, it actually had some language in it that I had either had forgotten about or just did not know when I was a kid. Um, so make sure you view this before you uh, let your kids watch it. I know Raphael; they call him crude for a reason. Um, he drops some bombs in there, and they also make some some words out of you know trying to make it funny out of the turtles stuff like shell and stuff yeah. like that so uh, make sure you watch it or at least view it before if you got younger kids uh, make sure you view it uh, depending on your parenting style but um i love this movie i love michelangelo uh he's so me i mean he likes to cut up and he loves <laughs> pizza you know what i mean um which which turtle would you be oh man which turtle do you think do you think i would be which one would you be um Probably Raphael, <laughs> I had to guess. Um, I can see that, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a fun movie. Um, I, I enjoyed it when I was a kid. I still enjoy it to this day. So um, I would say definitely give it a look before you show any kids, or if not, just enjoy the movie. The, the, there's also two other sequels. There's The Secret of the Ooze, and then there's also the one where they go back and, in time, and feudal, in feudal Japan. Feudal Japan. Or, <laughs> That's, to be honest, that was my favorite one. Well, of course it would, because you lived over in Japan, didn't you? <laughs> well, this was like way before, because uh, I, I didn't live in Japan until I myself joined the military. So. All right. So um, we're coming down to the end of this podcast. Um, we have do have one review to read. I'm going to go ahead and get that out of the way. This was on uh, the Apple iTunes. Yay. So it says... Uh, Write us more reviews. By, I love reading them. And we love is, reading them to the podcast. Right. Or email. 
Uh, this is from FMMCGC1974. Great podcast, five stars, great analysts, uh, analysis of older movies, interesting trivia and facts, and great choice of movies. Keep it coming. Well, we Dang thank it. you, whoever sent that. I'm not really sure um, the tag, you know, your name, uh, but thanks for sending that. Um, also, Terrence, we have a special announcement next week. Dang. We're not going to give it away this week. Yes. But uh, if you tune in to the podcast the next time we record, we're going to um, release something special that will be happening in June. Um, I think you guys will get a kick out of it. Um, as always, you can reach us at thetragedyofcinema at gmail.com, all one word. Um, we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and as of this week, we are now available on Podbean and the TuneIn apps. Um, we also uh, have requested to be on iHeartRadio. I'm still waiting to hear back from them on the um, email. We're everywhere. Tell your friends. And also, um, I have another uh, podcast friend who was kind enough to put our trailer uh, for this podcast onto his podcast. So I told him when his season two of his would come out that I would put it uh, on ours. Um, so this is um, Hillbilly Horror House trailer for season two by Tim Mullins. Um, I will warn you that this does, trailer does contain some explicit content and language. Um, so if you don't want to hear it, uh, please shut it off now. But Because uh, we've pride ourselves in being a family-friendly podcast. But I told him I would throw it in here. So and Aside from that, it's a, it's a great podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, he's a great it's, it's guy. It's very too. entertaining. And the, and the time that he takes to do his editing and all that is like, like eight hours an episode. And the episode's only like eight minutes long. So yeah. my hat is off to him. And his whole production crew. Very dedicated. Very good. So with that being said, I'm going to throw that in here right now. Hillbilly Horror House returns June 1st with season two. Glad you can make it, man. Thanks. Me too. So we're back here, huh? I haven't seen him myself, but a lot of the guys are saying they see someone up there staring at them through that window. Holy Mary, Mother of Jesus Christ. Matt? You, you see that, right? She's my wife. I'll protect her. You cannot protect her. <laughs> I know, Damn I know, it. I'm trying. Make it stop. Get out. What? Get out. Fine. Just kiss my ass. I'm out of here. She's the one that caused the accident. That's it. I've And now we're back for closing. <laughs> now we're back for closing. So the next time, the next movie we have chosen to uh, review is we are going to go back, way back. We are going to 1939 again, and we are going to probably review the greatest movie of all time on any list that you ever find anywhere. And that, of course, is Gone with the Wind. So don't forget to tune in next time we record. Make sure you watch Gone with the Wind, and make sure you set aside time. It's like three and a half to three and four hours long um but there is an overture and there's also like a um what do you call it intermission 
Yeah. Because it's such a long movie, but it's so fantastic. Um, I wonder when they stopped doing that. Because I know older movies had intermission times. Like, hey, intermission. And, and especially <laughs> Let's like... Let's go out to the lobby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, then, and then they just stopped doing that. But I guess maybe the pacing of movies, it's hard to come out of a movie and then come back. I wish they would have had one during Lord of the Rings. Because, you know, oh, those were yeah. some long well, movies. Uh, I think, like, the, the second two were action packed but at the first one I had so many friends fall asleep like I'm a, I'm a huge movie goer so I've I've never fallen asleep in a theater but I've had so many friends fall asleep on me with watching uh, The Fellowship of the Ring it's right. but yeah that one did need an intermission uh, so with that being said I think we're coming to the close of this uh, episode 8 The Turtles from 1990 and with that being said I think that's a wrap and, and cut, cut.